0: then, well, Shabbat Shalom and Happy Passover. I hope it's been a a great holiday for you so far. A moment of confession for me right now. I think this might be the first Passover, maybe the first six years, that I don't accidentally eat yeast. Uh, Because, unfortunately, with the quarantine and things like that, the chances of me uh, botching up are a lot smaller this year. Unfortunately, in the past, uh, the week of Passover seems to be a week where lots of times the blood donation trucks were out. And uh, I like to donate blood because they usually give you free snacks. And so it has happened too frequently on Passover that I go to donate blood, and then my first bite into a slice of pizza, I realize it's Passover. Uh, but one, one thing this year is that that's probably not gonna happen. Uh, this might be one of the times, one of the years where I don't botch up at all and uh, don't have any yeast or chametz on Passover. Uh, So that's one thing about Passover this year that makes it a little bit different. And today we're going to look in the scriptures at the story of Yeshua's last Passover Seder. And we're going to look at it from Luke 22. We've been in a series in the book of Luke called The Doctor's Orders. And Luke was a doctor who used his skills at diagnosis and examining things and his attention to detail to look at the stories of Yeshua and figure out what was fact, what was history, what was true. And he records it for us. And so during these past few weeks, we've been looking at the chapters in Luke that have been leading up to Passover to see what does Yeshua have to teach us. Because Luke was a doctor, but he taught about Yeshua, the great physician, the great doctor, because the words that Yeshua spoke and what he taught brought life and healing and shalom to everybody who embraced them. And so we've been looking through the teachings of Yeshua because if we embrace his words today, it can bring healing and life and shalom into our lives. And so we've been looking at these chapters in Luke and kind of going passage by passage. And today we're at Luke 22. And the way it begins is that before it gets into the Seder itself, it kind of sets the scene and recaps the situation. And it does it in a way that kind of recaps the things that we have been learning about in the doctor's orders the first thing it says it says now as passover was approaching the ruling priests and the uh, officials in the temple and the torah scholars were looking for a way to take yeshua down because they were afraid of the people and the first week in part one of this four-week series we looked at the ways that the torah scholars and the priests were trying to trap and trick yeshua into saying something they would upset the government. They would frame him as a revolutionary and get him arrested, but they couldn't do it. They tried to trip him and tra- trap him into saying something that would upset the people, so they would turn on him, cancel him, and ruin his popularity and the protection of the crowds, but they couldn't do it because in every moment where they would try to trap him, he would just drop the mic, show his brilliance, give an answer that uh, evaded every trap but showed the truth of God's word. Was brilliant every single time, and so they're now looking for a way that they can secretly get him, without the attention of the people, because every other attempt has failed. Now they have to find a way to do it in secret, and so they 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 come over, and it turns out that Judas, the Judah, one of Yeshua's disciples, is now willing to hand over Yeshua. He's willing to do it for thirty pieces of silver, and so the next thing in these things is. is how we, Yeshua has looked at in these passages is how we have handled money and we see here that the, what we do for money or what we do to avoid losing money or how we spend our money shows our heart and unfortunately we see here that the heart of Judah had betrayed Yeshua and he's willing over to hand over Yeshua for some money and so he tells them he's going to find a time and a place where he can hand over Yeshua in secret where the crowds aren't going to be able to protect him And so it's in this context that Passover has now come that the priests have now conspired with Judas to find a way to take Yeshua out at this Passover. And it's at this Passover we read in verse 7 of Luke 22, Luke 22, verse 7, it says, Then came the day of Matzah, when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Yeshua sent Peter and John, saying to them, Now go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat. And they tell him, where do you want us to prepare? Like, what's the place, what's the hotel that you've reserved for the congregational Seder? But he doesn't give them a address. He says, go into the city, and when you arrive, you're going to find a man carrying a water jug from a, from a spring, from a well, and follow him to the house that he goes, and then when you get there, ask the owner of the house for the place set aside for me. He doesn't give them a address. He gives them a clue that leads to another clue that leads to another clue that gets them there. And as I've been studying the passage and reading, I think one of the interesting things is that Yeshua knows what's happening. He knows that Judas is looking for a place in private where he can get Yeshua arrested and take him out. And Yeshua is not surprised by that. He's not caught off guard. He's not oblivious. In every crisis, in every situation, Yeshua is in control. He knows what's going on. And he is leading Peter and John to find a place to prepare the Passover without any of his other disciples knowing where. Judas was not going to know where the Passover Seder was happening because Yeshua had determined he was going to enjoy this Passover Seder with the disciples. He was going to teach them some final lessons at this last Seder, and then he was going to be ready to be arrested. And so Yeshua is in complete control of this situation. In the previous chapter, it says that every day he would teach at the temple, and at night he would go to the Mount of Olives and spend the night there. And he did this as his custom every day. Yeshua was preparing the situation so that when Judas was going to look for a time to trap Yeshua, he was going to end up trapping Yeshua at the moment Yeshua wanted to be trapped. It wasn't going to come as a surprise. Nothing takes Yeshua by surprise. No crisis, no event, no betrayal, no situation takes him by surprise. He appointed and he set aside and he lured Judas and the priests into his plan, that they were going to arrest him at the moment, at the time of his choosing. They didn't take his life. He freely gave it. In every crisis, Yeshua is in control, and we can look to him. And so he set the stage for when he was going to be arrested, and he set the stage for when the Passover was going to happen. And so he directed Peter and John to find the hotel room with a great view of the city, the large upper room, and to prepare the meal there. And so they do that, and then we find in Luke Luke 22, verse 14, it says, When the hour had came, Yeshua reclined at the table and his emissaries with him. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He says, I have really looked forward to celebrating this Passover with you before I suffer. And when I first read that, that kind of caught me by surprise because I was thinking, if I was Yeshua, I'd be looking forward to my meal after I suffered, after it was done. I'd be looking forward to when this was all over with, the torture that he was about to experience. Or I might be thinking, I'm going to enjoy every moment with the people I love near me. But Yeshua doesn't say that. He says what he's been looking forward to the most is this Seder with his disciples, this Seder. Seder, and what makes this Seder different? Why is this night different than all other nights? And that's what we're going to look at in this passage: the meal of Messiah, the Lord's Supper, the Sedut Mashiach, the meal of Messiah, because it's this meal that separates this Passover from any other night, from any other Passover. It's this meal that infuses life into Yeshua's followers. It's this meal that wrecks our view of what greatness is. And it's this meal that unites and strengthens us as the people of God. And that's what Yeshua focuses on here. It's this last thing during this last Seder he wants to give his disciples. He wants to give them this meal, this Passover Seder, infused with more significance, infused with everything that he had been looking forward to in the final redemption. And he tells them, take eat. He breaks the matzah. And he says, this is my body broken for you. And he takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. That in this meal is the, is the paradox that in Yeshua's death, he gives us life. And he quotes Isaiah 53, that the lamb who would come that would bore our sickness, that would bear our transgression, our iniquity and sin, he would be bruised for our iniquity, The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes that we would be healed. That his death brings life to his disciples. That this meal symbolizes the fact that he bears all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, that we can be free of all of that. You know, if you look at sociology, it talks about that cultures can either be guilt-based or shame-based or fear-based. And Yeshua takes all of that away. He takes away all of our guilt, all of our shame, and all of the fear of punishment because it says perfect love casts out all fear. Yeshua takes all that on, and in his death, he brings us life. Ultimately, when it comes to Yeshua, our greatest healing in his words is when we embrace the truth that he died for us, he died for our sins, and he gives us life. It's in him. And when Yeshua says, take, eat, this is my body, or take this cup, this is my blood, it sounds weird to us. If we just want to take a step back, it's weird, right? But what's interesting about it is that it might be weird for us, but it's not foreign to the scriptures, and it's not foreign from Judaism. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Rabbi Paul is going to say that in ancient Israel, it was the priests that partook and ate the sacrifices that became partners in the sacrifice. And as we look at Jewish history, actually in the Hasidic movement, what was started by the Baal Shem Tov is a practice on Passover called Sudat Mashiach, Messiah's Meal or Messiah's Supper. And as you look at this, what, the, what these rabbis, Hasidic rabbis, said is they said, the first day of Passover is all about Moses and the Exodus. And they said, but on the last day, we're going to focus on Messiah and the coming exodus, the coming redemption that He is going to bring. And so there's been a Hasidic practice where on the last day of Passover, they would drink a cup of wine, and they would eat matzah, and they'd say that as they did this, they would be internalizing Messiah, internalizing him into their bodies, and that it would become real to them, and that their lives could be infused with the purpose of Messiah, and that they could radiate Messiah in their lives. This concept that Yeshua is bringing might sound weird, but it's ancient, it's beautiful, and it's true that Yeshua, in his death, infuses us with life. Life that can never be taken away because of his resurrection. He infuses life into us. And so he says, Take ye, this is my body given for you. Take this cup, it's my blood given for the remission of sins. And then he says, but I need you to know I'm going to die and I'm going to suffer according to God's plan, but woe to the person who chooses to betray me. It's God's plan that I'm going to die for the sins of the world, but it's going to bring curse on a person who, of their free will, chooses to betray me. And then this gets the disciples all in a fury. Who is it? Which one of us is going to betray him? And then that discussion becomes, well, which one of us Is the greatest. It goes from which one of us is the worst to which one of us is the greatest. And Yeshua tells them, that's not how it works. The second thing the meal of Messiah does is it not only infuses us with life, but it wrecks our view of greatness. He says, the kings of the nations, they're all about seeking power and seeking titles and status, but it's not that way in my kingdom. He says, in my kingdom, it's those who serve who are the greatest it's not the one who gets their feet washed it's the one who washes the feet it's the one who clips the toenails i think about he says it's not about being uh he's, I'll, I'll read the verse for you he says but with you it is not so rather the, let the one who is greatest be, become like you the youngest and i just picture like a time when I was growing up where we would need to clip the toenails of my grandmother and massage her feet. And in Indian culture, you know, we, when we'd go to see our grandparents as a sign of respect, we would touch their feet. And then as the grandkids, uh, sometimes she would have us clip her toenails and massage her feet. And Yeshua says, it's the one who takes the lowly, crummiest position as a servant who's honored. He says, in my kingdom, it's flipped. In my kingdom, greatness is serving. And Yeshua makes the ultimate demonstration of service by laying down his life for us. Because it takes power beyond what anybody else knows to have the self-control to serve in the way that Yeshua does. It takes a love greater than anybody else can know to do what Yeshua does. And he says that in his act of washing his disciples' feet, in his act of dying for us, That is what makes him the greatest. And he says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, greatness is about serving. And every time we have the meal of Messiah, it's a reminder that Yeshua is our king, not because he coerced it by force, not because he forced himself, not because he sought power and he sought titles and he sought status, but he became the greatest because he gave all of those things up. And he became the lowest and the least and the meekest among us. And that is where his power and his greatness lies. And when we have the meal of Messiah, it wrecks our view of greatness and causes us to look at Yeshua, our king who rides a donkey, our king who gives his life for us. And at this meal, the last thing he wants to impress upon them is that when you eat this meal, it unites you, and strengthens you, that you eat this meal together. When I was uh, in college at the University of Tampa, I went to a Hillel Seder, and when they got to the portion of the matzah tash and taking out the middle piece of matzah, they didn't have an understanding of Yeshua, but one thing that struck me about what they said is that as we break this matzah together, it's a reminder that we are all united as one people, as one body. And unfortunately Hallel and the community there didn't get the fullness of what they were doing and what it meant. But at this Seder, Yeshua breaks it apart for us. He opens it up and he says that as you partake of this meal together, it unites you as my people. That what separated you before, what kept you separate or at enmity with each other, the fights and the quarrels that you'd have with each other are ended when you humbly share this together, that it's my blood that buys you into my family and makes you one, that this meal unites you together. And then he says to Peter, he says, you're going to go through a period of testing. You're going to be sifted like wheat. You're going to deny me three times. But then after you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Yeshua tells him, Peter, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me, but I have prayed that your faith is not going to fail. It's not going to disappear completely, and God's going to use your weakness and turn it into a way for you to strengthen your brothers. And that's what this meal reminds us. Just like how Yeshua turns death into life, this wheel turns our weakness into strength. And that at this meal, Yeshua is inviting us to come together as his body and to strengthen each other, to encourage one another that the way that God brings healing and strength to us so often is through each other. And that as we eat this meal together, it's a reminder that we are united together as his people. And so on this Seder, Yeshua has really been looking forward to. He leaves them with these three things as part of this Seder. This meal, the Sudat Mashiach, it's going to infuse you with life, It's going to wreck your view of greatness and what it means for me to be the Messiah. And it's also going to unite and strengthen you as my people for the purpose and the mission that I've been calling you to. In today's counting of the Omer verse, it mentioned that when you have belief, it allows you to act with purpose. And Yeshua is saying, now infused with my life, now with your view of greatness reframed, now united. You can live in the mission and the purpose that I'm calling you to do. And he gives them this meal to release them in their purpose and their destiny. And on this Passover, as we have the meal of Messiah, as we eat Messiah and drink the fruit of the vine, on this Passover, may it remind us that Yeshua infuses us with his life, that he wrecks our view of greatness and shows us what it truly is. And that in him, we're united together and called to strengthen one another for the destiny that he has for us. Shabbat Shalom.